Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I met Phil Janes because I was actually in an Uber going to another interview and I just drove past the union hall and it was the local entertainment union and I thought they'd be good people to talk to for this story while I was out in Las Vegas. Um, I emailed the union and he got back to me right away on his personal cell phone and just said, hey, Megan, I'd be happy to meet you anytime. That's Megan Casella, who just reported a story for Politico magazine about how Las Vegas is trying to come back from COVID. And the guy she's talking about, Phil Janes, heads up the union representing the people who work behind the scenes for all the shows you might go to Vegas to see. Phil Janes himself had spent a lot of his career on Jersey Boys. He worked there for a while. All of those big name shows, as well as the big conventions. They do all of the backstage setup and and that sort of thing. And so you can imagine, they were really hit hard by the pandemic. Because even other unions, when they were hotel workers, some of those workers could go back to work. But the entertainment union, it's stagehands, it's live shows, it's big conventions. And so most of his 1,700 members have barely worked at all. Now, there was a moment earlier this summer, as cases were going down, when they got a taste of normal life and normal work again. They had worked so hard to reopen the Union Hall's doors to get some people back to work. Some shows were starting to come back. But then Delta hit in Vegas, which had rushed to reopen even with low vaccination rates, started to see a rise in cases, which was a big problem for Janes, not only because of the economic implications, but because a sizable portion of his union was opposed to the vaccine. His frustration had boiled over at one point in mid-July when cases were really spiking. And so he sat down to send an email to his members telling them, you know, we just really need to get this done. And I said, do you have the email still? Do you mind if I take a look at it? And he's sitting by his computer and he opens it up and he said, oh, just don't ask me to read it. I'll get emotional. And um, then he started reading it just to himself at the computer at first and and he teared up. This did not have to happen, he wrote in the email. Quote, we are on the brink of a massive flood of work that might be cut to a trickle because people are not getting vaccinated. And, you know, he took his glasses off and he wiped his eyes and just, he said, I didn't, I never got emotional before COVID, but something about this past 18 months has, has changed me in this way. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... When they tried to reopen without broader vaccine uptake, they just had to shut back down again. So now they're grappling with how to move forward, whose responsibility is it to try to get more people vaccinated, and what can we do to try to increase those vaccination rates. Megan Casella on how COVID crushed Las Vegas. And now, amid wars over mandates and masks, no one can agree on how to revive it. I found it such an interesting place because it's so dependent on tourism and on visitors, both domestic and international. Mm -hmm. And... It had been hit so hard because of that last year that the unemployment rate had one in three workers in Vegas out of work last year, which was so striking and that it's still the highest unemployment rate in the country for a metro area. But it's a microcosm because it's so divided. You know, it really has people on all sides of the spectrum of, well, I, I just wanted to wait for it to be approved by the FDA. But then there's another reason. Oh, maybe I don't trust the science or maybe I don't actually need this or just don't tell me what to do. I want to decide on my own. Um, and then at the same time, there's people like Phil Janes who are doing everything they can to try to convince everyone they know that this is what they need to do. They need to get this vaccine. 
Um, and so at this point, I mean, you know, I, I asked everyone I met, oh, is this the Las Vegas that you know? How are things going? Because it's not dead. You know, there's there's definitely people there. Um, but, you know, one Uber driver said, oh, it's limping along or hmm. someone else. said, oh, It's, you know, there's people here, but it's not really Vegas. It's not the same. The entire state is back under an indoor mask mandate. Um, Vegas has been for a little while now because it was based on how, what the level of transmission was per county. Um, So Vegas has had that indoor mask mandate back for a while. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of whispered voices of, are we going to shut down again? Um, You know, are we going to go back to social distancing inside restaurants and putting the plexiglass walls back up at the blackjack tables and the casinos and all of that? So far, that's not in place, um, but there's a lot of fear that it that it could be um, if things keep trending in the wrong direction. And so, you know, it, it's really stuck in this limbo of, you know, people are just searching for anything they can try to do to improve things, to get more people vaccinated, to have the cases drop down a little bit more. Um, and they really are, you know, because they're so dependent on their visitors, I think it seems to me they're a little bit on the forefront across the country of starting to require vaccines even before President Biden's mandate last week um, that is yet to you know fully come out and take effect but we were already seeing big casinos and the football stadium and the NFL team start to require vaccines and some of the big conventions as well so they're really on the forefront of, of recognizing that if they want to get back to what what they do best and bringing people together that that looks like at this point possibly the only path forward it's interesting reading your story and seeing how Vegas seems to have some lessons learned from when they started to bounce back earlier this year without widespread vaccination. And as a result, COVID bounced back with a force too. You mentioned all these places now pushing for vaccinations, but in your reporting, you also looked at how Nevada is a state with a big libertarian streak, how Las Vegas's mayor has continually downplayed the dangers of the pandemic, and even a paramedic distributing vaccines described Nevada to you as, quote, a don't-tell-me-what-to-do state. I mean, what sort of reality are you seeing play out there, given all that? It's so interesting because, you know, while the people who are most in support of vaccines want to see these mandates take effect and they say this is the only way forward, there's still a lot of concern that we don't know exactly what that looks like in practice. And we don't know if it's actually going to incite more backlash. And when I was there, there was actually a really big debate going on about whether, you know, Yes, maybe we need a mandate, but should it come from private businesses? Um, Because if politicians did it, it would just politicize the vaccine. Or should it come from politicians? Because if businesses did it, then they would just, you know, they couldn't get everybody to do it. And then one individual business would just lose its customers or lose its employees. And so there's a strong libertarian streak out there. Um, There's a lot of, you know, they're so close to California and a lot of people would make comments of, you know, that's a California thing to do or or we don't want to be like them or Hmm. our governor is trying too much to be like the California governor and and we want to do things differently here. Um, And so it's it's sort of like even among the supporters, I mean, the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce, I thought was a good example because they're really supportive of vaccines and they had already had a policy in place that they're either requiring vaccines or regular testing for their own teams, and they were encouraging their members to do the same thing. But they don't like Biden's mandate because they didn't want this to come from the president. They don't like the precedent that it sets. Um, and so that's the concern there is that, you know, maybe I would have gotten here on my own, but I, I don't want you to tell me what to do. And, and there's a lot of concern that it could really spark some backlash because of that. I want to talk a bit about the bigger picture 
of all of this? Because in your story, you write that Vegas is a case study and just how difficult it'll be to fully reopen America's services sector. You also noted that the Las Vegas Strip supports half of Nevada's economy, which I didn't know. I found kind of wild reading that. But can you tell me why we should all be watching what's happening in Las Vegas right now? I think there's two main reasons why this story is really important. And one is for the state of Nevada that, you know, as you said, I was also surprised to hear um, that the the strip, which is four miles long, actually supports half of the state's economy. And that's indirectly. Um, you know, it's about a quarter to a third directly um, supports the state economy and then indirectly as well, because everyone who's employed on the strip then goes and spends money elsewhere or whatever it may be. Uh-huh. And so this is a hugely important thing for the state. And, you know, they need to be able to get back up and running. Someone described it to me as, you know, it's a city in the business of bringing people together. Someone else said, we are our visitors. You know, our economic recovery is directly tied to our public health recovery. We can't get back to normal and get back to thriving and and welcome people back in unless we get the virus under control here. But the bigger reason is that there's some real national implications or some lessons that we can learn at least nationally as well, because even though Las Vegas is really the most striking example because it's so dependent on in-person activity, every city in the country to some extent is going to be grappling with how to reopen our in-person sectors, our services sectors. And services make up two-thirds of the U.S. economy. And so if we can't figure out how to reopen them and get them thriving in person and having it so that you know people are safe and just as importantly or almost as importantly, people feel safe and are comfortable spending their money that way, if we can't figure out how to do that, then it's going to be a halted economic recovery and you know it could drag on for quite a long time before we can really get back to normal. Megan Casella, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Also today, the Homeland Security Chief of Staff is resigning. Karen Olick announced on Monday that she plans to leave DHS for a new undisclosed opportunity at the end of the month. The shakeup comes as the Biden administration tries to grapple with the flow of migrants at the southern border. Employees and senior officials at DHS have also been working nonstop on other major issues that their department is taking a lead on, including responding to the impacts of Hurricane Ida and helping vet tens of thousands of Afghan refugees. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken is defending the Biden administration's decision to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan. In testimony before the House Foreign Affairs Committee on Monday, Blinken said the U.S. is committed to evacuating the 100 or so Americans who still want to leave the country. But he declined to say whether the U.S. would be able to evacuate the thousands of Afghan allies who applied for visas and who are at risk of retribution from the Taliban. Blinken said the Biden administration was handcuffed by former President Trump's agreement with the Taliban, which in part reduced the U.S. troop presence to 2,500 by the time Biden took office. And he argued that Biden, quote, inherited a disaster in the making. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Stay tuned tomorrow for the launch of our new podcast, Global Insider. The first episode is a must-listen featuring the U.S. ambassador 
to the UN. Just search for Global Insider wherever you get podcasts and press subscribe. Also tomorrow, join Global Insider's host, Ryan Heath, for a panel discussion of the global tech race during Politico's inaugural tech summit. Find more at politico.com slash live events. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.